Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we ask the question, what is the best home for your content? Hmm. Hmm. What do you think? I've got strong opinions. I know that's shocking. <laughs> really? Yeah, shocker. So let's let's define some terms first. What do you mean by home? Well, you know, that's a good question because I think, you know, when I first said home, I was thinking about, you know, where should it live? Where is the primary place that your content should be? But it, even as I say that, I don't think that's what I mean. I think that's one part of it. But I think the other part is how do you share it and with whom? So there might be content, um, I'm thinking on a place like Inc., for example. So Inc. has a rule where if you write for them, you can put it on your own site only if you have this, you know, disclaimer that says this was first um, published in ink, something like that. So it's, I think it's just where you want your content to live. Okay. Sort of the, the uh, geeks would say the canonical home or the canonical URL for a particular article would be like, you know, a lot of times you know, stuff can get you, you know, you might post something on your blog and also on medium and, you know, Huff mm-hmm. or something else, but the canonical URL is the place that that when someone searches for it, Google is supposedly supposed to point back to the canonical URL. So, and you can actually define that inside of your web pages. And it's, I think that's related to what you're talking about, but it's this, but to me, I don't think of it uh, when I'm thinking about this, it's more of a, it's less technical and it's more conceptual and emotional. Like, where does it live? Like, where, where does it come home and go to bed? You know, it's like, <laughs> like, and to me, the, to me, maybe you'll, you'll point out my Gen X tendencies here, but I see a lot of people who, in fact, I have, I have friends who get a lot of engagement, say, on Medium, for example. And so they, they just post on Medium. They don't have a blog per se. They just post on Medium and they try to drive traffic with like a call to, the, call to action at the end of the article to like their website or to some next, you know, next you know, step down the funnel, if you will, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I've experimented with that. Like, it's kind of like, um, it feels very sharecroppy to me where, you know, Ooh. it does. It's like you're, you're living on borrowed time. I feel like it's because the, and I feel like it ends up not being your audience. So like, let me explain right. what I mean. Like, here's a great, this is like a really strong example. So when, I've written several books, I don't know, like four or five books for traditional publishers. And I've written like, I don't know, a couple of short books and a couple of longer books that I self-published. And the the self-published books, I can do whatever I like, whatever I want. I can change the price every single day if I want. I can run a special. I can bundle them together. I can uh, do whatever I want. Like I can mm-hmm. change the title, update. I could do it. Yeah, all day long, and mm-hmm. and then that's cool. But the the real thing that I think is the advantage of having control over that content, like hundred percent control over that content, is I know who's buying it. Where when I you know the, my uh, traditionally published books have been translated into seven languages and sell all over the world, and you know in terms of units. I I don't even know, but I'm positive. I, I don't know for sh- like I don't know what the number is, but I'm positive that it's probably uh, it's probably a hundred times more books have been sold, you know, through O'Reilly and, and Sam's than I ever sold by myself. 
but I don't know who bought it. I have no contact with those people. I have no control over the price. I have no control mm-hmm. over when they when they promote it or if they're going to do anything to promote it. It's just like zero, zero connection with the audience. This is the same reason I don't sell my self-published books on Amazon because then I don't know who bought it because they won't share the, the contact information with me. And so it's, mm-hmm. this isn't exactly what we're talking about because this is all paid stuff. But to me, there's a huge difference between building up someone else's platform with my content and maybe getting some crumbs and benefit from that and creating my own. I shouldn't I don't feel like it's my own audience. I don't own the audience, but I have a direct relationship with the people who are consuming my content, whether they're reading or listening or watching. And I think that having that direct relationship at no middleman basically is the thing that's most important to me when you ask the question, what's the best home for your content? Like my, my pat big picture answer is the one where there's no middleman between you and the people who want it. (laughs) And that includes Google. I, I, I don't think one bit about SEO. I've only, only recently have I started even thinking about it at all. And I don't really think about it. I outsource it to my VA, but on YouTube. So like the stuff I'm doing on YouTube right now is just a total experiment to be like, is there really anything like I believe in the power? I, I think video is a great trust builder. I think it's a great way to communicate and YouTube is the obvious place to do it, but I'm posting stuff there. That I don't, you know, it's the one place where I post stuff where I'm not in control of the platform and it's a test and it's, it's purely a test. So, and, and oh, by the way, I published the audio on my, my pod, on my other podcast, ditching hourly. So I still do have a, like a control over a certain aspect of it, but in general, the search algorithm between Google and me, I don't like between between me and uh, Google being in between me and the people I want to help. I don't like it. Facebook being in between me and the people I want to help. I don't like it. YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. I don't like it because, you know, anybody that's been paying attention knows that, uh, you know, Facebook changes their news feed algorithm. Boom. Your audience is gone. Google changes their algorithm. Boom. 50 percent drop, mm-hmm. drop in traffic. Yep. And, and nothing to fall back on. And I, you know, whatever, I'm a latchkey kid. Maybe I'm just always like, <laughs> like now I will control my destiny. But, you know, that's why I love podcasting because it's a, it's a distributed system. No one person controls it. That's why I love email distributed system. No one person controls it. And I just think those two in particular are amazing. And, you know, and to a certain extent, you know, if you run your own website, your, your blog, you know, you can, you know, a lot of people are probably on wordpress.com or whatever, but you can certainly have your own installation of a, a WordPress site or some other blogging platform. And, you, and that's, you know, open source distributed platform. No one owns it. So you can, I, I think those three things are super to, to me, like that is the air quotes canonical place for the, the, my content to live, depending on the media format, the media type. It's like, I want it to be on my podcast. I want it to be on my blog. I want it to be in my mailing list. And, you know, and then I have the same kind of control I have over self-published books, which isn't to say there's not a benefit being on Medium or being traditionally published or being on YouTube because, well, guess what? There is a big audience there. It's not your audience, but there's a huge crowd. So maybe you can increase some awareness there, but it just makes me nervous. Well, I think I hear everything that you said, um, and I don't disagree with your strategy. I mean, it's kind of the same way that I operate in my own business. But what's interesting with clients is that that's not always the right strategy for them. 
And so let me just give you an example. So in your situation, um, let's say that you needed a bigger audience. You were looking for more people. You have an idea or you have a, you know, some kind of a business, whether it's a book or a course or a productized service, something that you really want to get out. But your audience, you know, it's kind of saturated with that. Right. So you need to find other outlets for that. That's when I think it can really make sense to and I'll use the word align with some other people or outlets. So if your audience was a really focused set of, you know, business people that are growing uh, early stage, mid stage companies, maybe Inc. is the right outlet. So you decide, all right, I'm going to write some things for them. Um, but I'm going to do it in a very thoughtful way. And I'm not only going to put it there. It's also going to live in my home, whether that's, you know, email, whether you use the subject in a podcast or you post it on your blog. So you're putting it both places, but you're getting your content out so that you can leverage um, what I call OPA, other people's audiences. Oh, 100%. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And whether that means that you're writing something specifically for them or you're essentially syndicating. I mean, I think of medium that way. It's like I just I would see it as a mistake to use just medium to put out your content. Now, if you're putting your content out on your blog and you have a small audience and you're like, gee, you know, I really think this would be of interest to more people. Medium could be the perfect place to post for you, but not just there. Right. You've got to own it yourself. Mm. Yeah. So I had an experience recently that that ties into this. So the issue with like medium, for example, or if we were doing if we were publishing our podcast on SoundCloud or if we published it on YouTube, if we did video, the the issue is the links are to them. So you don't control them. So mm-hmm. I've got, um, you know, I don't want to get too technical here, but, but we were looking at maybe switching where we hosted the podcast or, you know, I've got a couple of podcasts. I've been looking at moving them to a different place. It's really hard because, uh, there's a, a ton, like I own all of the, the, I've got all the audio, but all the links that are in all the emails that are all, you know, all the, all the links that have been out there, if they happen to be through a custom domain that I do control. But a lot of people don't do that because it's a pain. So they would have like, uh, you know, in the case of Simplecast, mm. it would be like like tboa.simplecast.com or simplecast.fm, whatever it is now. Yeah. And we're, we're you're, you're stuck there. Like you're stuck there forever because you can't, and it, well, not forever, but I mean, if you want to keep the, you know, the RSS feed alive that the people have been linking to, then how do you move? You know, you can't, it's really, you, you're basically starting over and that I gotcha. whenever I have that situation, I'm like, Rrr. but now what you said about, you know, guest posting on Inc or maybe getting an article published in HBR or, uh, guesting on, you know, some podcast that has a big audience. Absolutely. Like, I think that's a great thing to do to borrow other people's audiences. Like you said, if there's alignment with the, what the, what their audience needs or would value and you've got some angle on that that would be good like i'm i'm all for that i've guessed it on i don't know probably a hundred podcasts i think it's a great thing to do and after it's done i download the audio for future reference and all that stuff (laughs) but i just don't i see people who just 
post on Facebook or they just embed videos on LinkedIn or they just post on Medium or they just upload audio to SoundCloud, you know, like a podcast on SoundCloud. Mistake. It's That's a bad, Yeah. Like, it's very short term. It's like if you're in it for the long haul, and I mean like longer than 18 months, something's going to change on the platform. The, the platform's going to get bought. That's what happened with our podcast hosts. It got bought. They revised it. Uh, it's not to my liking so far. It's a we'll mess. See. <laughs> we'll see. They're working on it. But uh, but that that happens all the time, especially with these companies that are like, oh, we're free. It's like, it's like, are you really, you know, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's the trade off? The trade off is control. There's a lot of trade offs. Privacy is another one, but, but not being able to like my website is so simple. Like I can just go in and, and change all the URLs and all the redirects. It's like really easy. It's like, I can just update one text document whenever I reorganize things or move them around, or I want to bundle them together in a different way. It's no problem. And and that same sort of thing, if you're, you know, say on a platform that you don't control, oof, good luck. You know, like yeah. if you care about that sort of, because if you think about it, like, because I think about it, like the sort of flywheel concept where you've got a, a, you've got a core belief or big idea or mission or something in the middle, and that's the axle of the wheel. And the, the, the more focused it is, the easier the wheel's going to spin. So you've got this bunch of content you're like, uh, and as you create it and publish it, you're like adding energy to this flywheel. And the more it's spinning, the more it's spinning, the more it's spinning in on the internet, the way that that, uh, and, and that becomes powerful and it, it becomes like actually kind of hard to stop. You wouldn't, you know, it'd be hard to, to stop something like that. Once all of that potential, once all that energy is built up in it. And the way that's expressed on the internet is through this, this web of links that, just get created and shared and they create a gravitational pull and you don't want big sections of that to just go dark. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I want everything linking back to a domain that I can sh- control. And because otherwise I could, you know, people could just cut me off, of, you know, basically get in the middle of me and the audience. And that would be a super drag. But the way I have things set up, I mean, the internet would almost have to go down. Like there, there's no, I don't know. It, it's like uh, maybe I'm overblowing the the desire for control. Maybe that's just my personality. But because you can certainly go pretty far, pretty fast, just by blogging on LinkedIn. You know, like posting all your articles on LinkedIn and getting all the shares and all that stuff. But well, it's a, it's a it's a it's a balance. I mean, I think that everybody we each have the things that are important to us, and I think a lot of us go into business because we want to have control over what we're doing. So I think what you're describing is, is natural. I mean, I, I feel the same way, but I think sometimes you want to give up some, if you can get something that's better. Right. And so the example in everything you, you did was do that, do that in LinkedIn, do that in medium, do that in Facebook, but also do it on your own platform and drive people to, to you. And one of the challenges when you're, um, especially writing for some of these big media sources is that they won't tell you what's in the box. So for example, if you write for Forbes, they will show you, I mean, you can see it when you click on an article, how many views that article has had. It's public. And the blogger can also see some additional stats if they log in behind the the dashboard. On Inc., you can't tell. 
they the only way you know if your article is a hit is if it hits the big one for that day and then they'll tell you but they still won't tell you how much traffic it got so you don't know if article a was more interesting to people than article b i mean yeah you can read comments but that's that's about it you have no insight into their black box and so all you can do if you're writing for them is they you know they'll assign you an editor or a pool of editors is that you have to work with them and try and find something that they believe their readers will value which isn't always what you want to value. So it's not it's not a perfect equation but if you know that their audience has some simpatico with yours then you know it's kind of like newsjacking why not jack into their audience right <laughs> i mean sure. really if if you can and if you can find a way to to have it make sense for you that it's the not knowing i think that drives at least for my clients it drives them crazy it's like how do i know if the time i'm spending on this ink article is smart because i have no idea how many eyeballs Nobody has told me that they've come to my site or read my stuff because of ink. Like I it's they just don't even know. So so they then look at it and say, well, you know, maybe that's a it's a credential and I need a credential with ink to be able to go over here to fortune. So you look at these things in different ways, but again, I, I want to reiterate what you said. You do have to have control at the end of the day of your content. You cannot let yourself be lured into the sedu uh, seductiveness of of one of these platforms like Instagram. Yeah, I mean, man, Instagram's you can get a good addicted. example. It's so easy to get addicted to that thing. Yeah, it's the the wildest of walled gardens. Yeah, yeah, and then you start playing with all the filters, and you got a consistent filter for a certain kind of look, and you know, it's it's uh, yeah, that's a rabbit hole for sure. Mm. Not that it can't be a wonderful platform depending on what it is that you're trying to sell, but it's, we can't depend on any one platform because two things. One is, you know, you always want to own your platform. And then the second thing is, you know, my platform, my rules. So if you're on Twitter or YouTube, Instagram, you got to follow their rules and they can change them any time they want. And do. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I had, I had a client who um, they'd essentially paid someone to build up their Facebook likes. And I think they were at 45 or 50,000. And that was, it was a few years ago, but it was when Facebook had changed their algorithm. So none of that counted. Yeah. So these people had spent all this money getting to that point, And then they're like, well, now what do we do? We have, you know, 50,000 people, but they're not seeing our content. <laughs> you buy ads. I mean, yeah, <laughs> That's why they changed exactly. the algorithm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I, I'm not against any of that stuff. I think it really boils down to perhaps buying the likes, but in general, I'm not, I'm not against any of that stuff. It's really a question to me of, of knowing what each platform is for, how it plays into your overall, if you want to call it funnel or marketing strategy or whatever in your universe, how, how, what role it's playing in your business, let's say. And in putting the appropriate amount of effort into each one. So, mm. so I absolutely guest, I'll, I'll guest host, I'll be a guest on almost any podcast, you know, like it, <laughs> if the podcast ex actually exists, I'll go on it. It's like pretty easy for me. It's really, it's really, I like it. It's fun. But to me, that's like, um, 
it's like an ad. Like I, I see it like an ad. Like I'm, I'll show up and I'll, I'll ask the host like, okay, what's the audience's situation? And like, how can I help these people? And it, it's, it's, it's meant to be of service for sure. But I don't see it as like a core piece of content that I'm going to like, I'm going to like rehearse and practice and like put all this effort into leading up to it and like listen to their entire episode backlog. And, you know, I'm just going to show up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll, I do yeah. like 10 minutes of prep maybe. And then, you know, like what's the name of the show? Who, what other guests have been on? Listen to an episode or two to get a feel for the vibe. And then, you know, it doesn't... it. Do it's not like a huge investment of time versus my daily list, which is uh, in aggregate a huge investment of time. So if I'm going to be chipping away at something every day, you better believe I want those chips to fall in my basket, not somebody else's basket, you know, but, but, you know, it's a, it's, so I think it's a question of like the, um, the, uh, just amount of resources that you put into each one of these activities and understanding what the activity is for. You know, if I'm guesting on a particular show, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to, every every piece of content I create, I'm trying to help somebody. And I just believe that that's gonna, that's gonna help, end up helping me. So like, how do I help this person's audience? How do I help that person's audience? But I recognize that I'm helping, you know, there's like a, who's got the bigger audience? You know, who's helping who? Like if we have, I don't mm -hmm. know, Charlie on here, like who's helping who? You know, we're, right. we're, we're sharing. So like he's bringing an audience to the show. We're bringing an audience to him. And it, it's, some, it's like, uh, it's a fun, easy thing to do that can create the synchronicity. But at the end of the day, owning your content doesn't mean like, yes, I have the audio files. It means, do I own the links? You need to have control over the, like the stuff that you, like if you don't have control over the links of this web you know, the web that you're building on the internet around you and your content, if you don't own the links, that's very, that's to me, that's a very dangerous situation. You know, it's really interesting that you say that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it exactly that way, but I think that that's it. It's, it's owning the links um, and it's leveraging where you can and where it makes sense. And, and I think Jonathan, you use the word an appropriate amount of time. So it's like, I think with podcasts, it's, it's especially if you've got your contents well-developed, whether you've written a book on it or not, you've got a point of view that can make you an excellent podcast guest. And once you've got that point of view down and you do that 10 or 15 minutes of research or, or you listen to a, you know, a half hour, 45 minute episode, you can leverage the time with that person and then create this you know, I always think of it as magic. You know, when you get two people coming together to talk about something, you're 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 going to create something that didn't exist before, right? So you've got that ability to leverage in a really key way. I think with um, things that you write in particular, because um, it's hard to picture somebody getting podcast guest famous. If <laughs> you know what I mean, I think what happens is that you build your audience through putting your content out there, whether it's through your own podcast or on somebody else's, and then it comes back to you. But it's, it's about where you put your investment of time and energy. And just, I, yeah, I, I don't have to say, we've just said this like <laughs> five times, five different ways, you know, own your content, let it, let it live with you. Right. Exactly. So, and it's, it's, it's uh, a little bit of a pain if you're non-technical, like you, you need to get somebody to 
set up your domain name, have a place to put it, like understand how redirects work. Like either you need to know how to do that or somebody, you need to get somebody that knows how to do that. And it's, it's a pain. Like all of these platforms make it really easy to not have to worry about that. Like I know plenty of businesses, like local businesses, they have no website. They have only a Facebook page or like their Google, Google, my business listing. And Yelp. Or Yelp. Yelp's a great example. So imagine you're a restaurant and, uh, you know, you're a local tavern and uh, somebody, you got to kick somebody out and they just deliver this campaign of evil one star reviews on your restaurant. It's like you're totally, it's totally out of your control. There's, I mean, maybe it's changed. I doubt it, but they do see the Yelp seems to have been having problems lately. So maybe they're wising up, but it's a great example of like, like, oh, we'll just like curate our Yelp profile and, and that will bring people in. In fact, one of the places where I get my hair cut, the guy's got like a hundred five star reviews and he, he's, you know, I, I, you know, on his door, it says review me on Yelp. And it's this teeny little like barber pole barbershop that <laughs> like, you know, you can go in there if you're a woman, but you're getting a man's haircut. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like one guy, it's the owner. He does men's haircuts and it only takes cash. And I'm like, and I thought it was funny that he, he like even knew what Yelp was. And he's like, oh yeah, I probably get 75% of my business from Yelp. And I'm like, doesn't that make you nervous? And he's like, eh, I get repeat business, but you know, but yeah, it's a little, you know, it's a little exposed. Uh, you, you think? <laughs> right. I mean, he, he doesn't have like payroll and a bunch of employees and it's not like, I'm sure he'd be fine, but, but it's a good example where the, the platform, whether it's, you know, commenters or, um, or the, the platform itself, it can turn against you or it can, something can happen that's negative for your business and you're just too bad, you know, too yeah. tough, you know, that's yeah. our game, our rules. So, or our house, our rules. So it's like, you want to have stuff you want to, I don't know. I just think it's just smart to like have control over the links, the canonical links to your content so that you can evolve it. And over time, you just sort of, it builds and builds and builds and not, not big chunks of it are going dark as like YouTube changes an algorithm or Facebook changes something or Twitter changes the way the news feed runs and like these giant chunks of your, of your, your web go dark. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's control. It's, um, what do I want to say? It's, it's, there's something about this visibility thing. So for maybe a way to think about it is this. So for every platform that gives you the ability to like rise faster than you ever imagined, like becoming a YouTube star, there's the flip side of that same platform that says we can take you down. Yeah. You know, it's, it's both. And so you just have to go into every single platform, understanding what the downside is working with the platform in ways that make sense for you and hedging your bets. Yeah. And by the way, um, oh, oh, I just want to hit this. Yeah. Owning your own content on your site isn't hedging your bet. You do that anyway. The hedging your bet is don't just rely on, on Twitter for referrals. Right. Yeah. So, and hedging, I think I love that term hedging your bets. That's, that's key. That's one of the things that I think is just so brilliant about email, which is that, it's like, it's like the first social media, right? Reply all boom, you know, <laughs> and you've got, you've got this ability to broadcast to virtually infinite, you know, like a billion people and, mm -hmm. and then they can all 
reply like individual privately back to you and you're like oh i don't like drip i'll move to convert kit like whatever or you know like nobody owns those email addresses those are those are the individual it's like a phone number and they can just come to the next person yeah you can just take them to the next platform so like it wouldn't be that big a deal for me to like leave drip and go to convert kit because or whatever, because I can just export the emails. If I couldn't export the emails or I didn't know what they were, then that's what it'd be like if I was uh, selling books on Amazon. I can't export mm-hmm. the emails. I don't know who they yeah. are. I can't take them somewhere else. I, I can't do anything. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's just, it, I think hedging your bets is the best way to think about it. And not just, I, I don't know. I'm just allergic to having a middleman between you know, cause you gotta remember I was a musician and when, oh. and the only time, you know, in, in the eighties and nineties and the, like, if you weren't on the radio that you're done, like there's nothing for mm-hmm. you. That was it. That was it. And there was a huge payola scandal of, for people getting on the radio. So musicians, you know, cause you, you wouldn't be a musician if you didn't think you were great. Like you, like y'all think you're going to be famous. Y'all think you're great. Y'all think you're the best band. And that's what sort of like, if you didn't, you'd probably just quit. And, or eventually, that's probably why I did eventually quit. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not that good. (laughs) 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 But while I did believe, while I was still in the illusion, I was living the dream. You just hate, like everybody you talk to, you just hated the, uh, like it was literally disc jockeys at the time or A&R people. You just hated the whole music industry because it was this giant, like, gate between you mm-hmm. and, and the people who you imagined would would just like love to listen to your music you just like play on the street corner like there was nothing there's no way to there's no internet like think it's it's like almost hard to remember as soon as the internet came out i was like the done deal radio's dead like as soon as i saw the internet the first thing i thought was you know because i was in a band i was like i was like can you share music over this he's like yeah i was like radio's over yeah. like we just won <laughs> and that that is pretty much i mean it's taken you know 20 years longer than i thought it would but the music industry is like flipped on its head like selling records is completely dead and you know napster yeah, money's won, in basically. concerts yeah now the money's on the road it was used to be the other way around but anyway that's where i could easily get way off topic on that but i so i'm hypersensitive to somebody in between me and the audience i hate it and it's like because it's it's like i don't want it's like if my stuff's good like they'll tell me like i don't need you in the middle to say whether or not my stuff is good and then decide if it's gonna you know like uh somebody curating it or editing it or interfering with the creative process like oh why don't you do it like Mm -hmm. this and and if i imagine since i don't really do it i'm just guessing but but if i was trying to like game youtube to like attract more eyeballs or whatever then I imagine that a non-trivial portion of my day would revolve around like, well, what should I do videos about? And when you, when you hear YouTubers talk, you know, they do this. They like, they know what's going to blow up and it totally invades their creative process because they're just doing stuff that's going to get eyeballs. It's like, yeah, but do you care about, anyway, I'm I'm getting on a, I'm going to stop. I just, I just put the big cane out and I'm pulling you back in. But here, I'll, I'll summarize that point by saying like when there's a gatekeeper there, now you're not pleased. You don't, you're trying to please the gatekeeper to let you through the gate instead of trying to, to help your people. See the difference? Yeah. I don't like that. that. That's a good way of saying it. And, and sometimes you do it because the gatekeeper, the, the audience that the gatekeeper has the keys to is worth it. 
that you, where you believe that if you can break through that gatekeeper, you can get through it, they open it up to you and they see your content that they're going to come to you. Yes, and but you have to have a place for them to come to. Yes, right. exactly. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Like, who cares if you've had 100,000 views on HuffPo? So? Right. But actually, I should say that there's a few people who've done that on an article and gotten book deals, but those are the rare exceptions. That's not the usual thing. It's It's got to come back to you because we're assuming this is the business of authority, that you have a business, that you want to make money from this ultimately. So you got to own things. And I think the other thing, too, is is and you may not know this right up front when you sign on with a gatekeeper is is it's like a dance you kind of figure each other out and the gatekeeper for a lot of big media stuff is is the editor and if it's yeah. a blogger that's in some ways it's worse dealing with a, a blogger than than a true editor because a blogger is doing so many things right they editing is just a piece of what they do with their day and so it tends to like fall down on the list and so they just don't answer your emails or your if you actually call them you're not going to get them um professional editors know what that's like that's what they live for so they're more apt to go yes no yes no yes no right you don't get a lot of interaction but you know what they like and what they don't like but then you have to figure out how to morph your content in a way that they'll accept. And I'm thinking of one client in particular, and it's with this one happens to be with Inc. And it's it's been almost a constant struggle for them to agree on the article. <laughs> because the you know the client wants it to be about his thing and 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 where he sees that making a difference in the lives of the reader. And Inc. says, yeah, but it has to be filtered through this. Right. And so, and the client looks at that and says, well, I can write a couple of things on that uh, through that filter. But after that, I'm, you know, I'm not interested anymore. And so you have that impasse and you don't always know until you start working with someone, but it's still, it's, it's worth a shot, I think to be able to leverage it's like when you have great content you know it's great it's you've got a, a big idea it resonates with people you've got you've got the goods to back it up and you just keep getting this small audience and sometimes you know you need to leverage and try some of these other things but you don't give the store away right. the store. exactly yeah and I've, you know i've worked with a bunch of different kinds of editors and they're like on certain books, I've had just amazing editors that I feel like we we're on the same side of the table and like we both both had the same goal. And and then other I've had other experiences with editors that just don't get it. And like, even though they're on my side, they don't get it. And it's just it's it just doesn't work. You just have to stop. And then there's a, another kind of experience I've had where where it's more of like this magazine type thing or, um, you know, like Anchor Forbes or something like that. And and they're like, you know, some, they'll say, oh, we want an article. On, could you do an article on this? We're like, yeah, sure. Boom. Fifteen hundred words. There you go. Oh, uh, can you cut this down to six <laughs> hundred? And it's like, well, I could. And, th and then I do. And so the funny thing that happens is when you if you've ever gone through this experience, it's really it's a very interesting experience or even a, an exercise to go through. Like if you've got a fifteen hundred word article, try and cut it down to five, six hundred words. And you'll, in my experience, what you end up cutting out is all of your personality. It, you have to take out all of the sort of fun turns of phrase, all of the, all of the, 
all of the unique uh, uniqueness is a little bit strong, but it's the personality. Like if you right. if you write fifteen hundred words and you have to get it down to just the just the facts, ma'am, your personality's gone from there. And now it's just like an info piece, which is what they want. You know, in this particular case, you know, I was writing. For, I don't even remember the name of the. I don't even remember which one it was. But it was this situation where I had to write a series of articles, and they they just came out at fifteen hundred words. I'm like, it's for your website. Just publish it. People want shorter articles. Snacking. And I'm like, all right, you know, and then I cut it down and it's just not me anymore. It's the, the information is yeah. there, but it might as well be a Wikipedia article. And I'm like, eh, never mind this, you know, I don't, or whatever. I mean, some editors are amazing. And, you know, in the case of a book or, you know, when they're, when they get it and it's like, you're, you're, you're trying to achieve the same thing. It's a wonderful thing to have. Uh, but sometimes it's like, ugh. Yeah, it depends on on the outlet. I mean, I think, you know, there's some uh, kind of big city newspapers, their digital side. Mm. I found some really wonderful editors there. And they're very specific on the front end of what they want. And they will, they'll edit it with a, I don't want to say a heavy hand. They edit it with a thoughtful hand. Mm. I mean, you know, and I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, a few bad apples in the bunch, you know, there, there, there's a few bad apples everywhere, but by and large, those editors, because they won't take it on if they don't believe it's going to work for right. their outlet. And they're very specific upfront about what they want. So, you know, whether you want it or not, the problem I think comes when, you know, and Forbes, I don't know if Forbes is the best example, because I can't figure out like what Forbes yeah, is, what like doing. who are they try trying to appeal to? It's all over the lot. I mean, I feel like they take anything. I mean, I, I think yeah. they clean it up, they play with titles, but, you know, they, they're not terribly discerning. But if you yes. go to some of these, uh, yeah, if you go to some of these other sites, like like a fast company is almost impossible to get an right. outside piece published. Um, but their editors are fabulous. You know, they're very clear on what they want. And if you can meet that, you're good. I think we're, what you want to watch out for is an editor. And when I say an editor, this could be a blogger that is very amorphous. Like they kind of say, well, write a little piece and then we'll see what's going to work. <laughs> you know, ideally, uh, especially if it's they've got a site that's geared to some sort of news or information is there's usually some kind of contributor guidelines. Go and check that out because that's going to be your clue. And the best ones are going to say, these are the topics we're interested in. This is the voice we care about. This is the kind of experience our contributors have, like those kinds of things. And it's not long. It's like, you know, a web page, you know, like a single page, the equivalent of a sheet of paper. But that will help you know that they've figured this out and they're not going to waste your time. Yeah, that's a great, that's great advice. I like that because I, I think the experience that I was describing with the, you know, cut it down to 600, cut out a thousand words. It was kind of one of these less discerning content farmy type feeling, you know, you know, like mobile times or something yeah. like that, you know, it was like, okay, it wasn't like, it definitely wasn't like a fast company or wired or something where you're like, okay, there's like a really strong editorial point of view here. There's a tribe that exists around this particular brand. And, you know, it's, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And those, those folks are wonderful to work with because whoever they are, whether they're professional editors or they're bloggers, it's like when, when you, meet up with someone who knows their audience intimately and can almost predict which things are going to get you know, a lot of eyeballs. They are your friend. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause they want to, they want to be successful. They want you to be successful and, and they can help you with that. They're not going to spend a lot of time with you. 
to do it, right? They're busy, um, but there's a natural affinity and alignment. And because they know their audience so well, they know whether or not you're going to fit. Yeah, that's great. But still have a website. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Always have a website and always have a ton of content that's, you know, that's uh, that's yours that you own the URL to. You've actually put the fear of God into me about the podcast URLs now, Jonathan. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, you got. I mean, you published this on your site, so you're good, right? Because you control those URLs, so it's fine. Oh, okay, okay. I, you can tell how much I know about this. I've mm. never actually looked at them. You know, my my VA does that for me. Yes. Yeah. So you're good. Yeah. Okay, I, good. I don't do that on my side because I don't. I don't know. It's I've got other podcasts and stuff. It's fine. Like the Simplecast hosted one is fine, but you know that could be. You know your your site is basically the canonical TVOA. At some point, maybe we'd even point the domain there. Who knows? But uh, regardless, we do have the uh, just to use, with this example, we do have the a custom domain for business of authority. So yeah, the the ones that the, the one if you're non technical, dear listener, and you're not sure what I'm talking about. Uh, when you go to, what's a good example, I'm trying to think, uh, maybe Squarespace or um, WordPress.com. And if you, if you, sometimes you'll see like something like jonathanstark.wordpress.com. And yes. the, the Jonathan Stark in that scenario is the subdomain and the real domain is WordPress.com. And if you don't have like your own .com or .whatever, you know, like your name dot then you're probably a subdomain on somebody else's platform or somebody else's site, which means that you don't have control over the, um, the links. Like at the end of the day, they have control over the links so they could just shut them off or move them and break, break all of them one way or another. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I, I think about our podcast platform and you know, we, we liked it, we enjoyed it. And all of a sudden it got super complicated (laughs) And I loved it because, you know, I'm not a techie. I can learn most things relatively quickly, but detailed tech eludes me. And I could understand, post anything on there, fix problems. Not that I did. Jonathan always does that. But I, I felt like I could. Yeah. And with the change, it's much more complicated. Could I figure it out eventually? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fingers crossed that that they re-simplify it, but uh, we'll see. But that's a good example. I mean, it, it's just like companies get bought, they change their roles, they change their algor- algorithms, they change their interface, they change their syndication. And if you, you want to be in a position where you're like, okay, that's a pain, but it's not a, it's not a game changer for me. I just like, I'll move to a different one. It'll be annoying for 48 hours or something, uh, but it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have your own domain and you're operating on the internet, then you don't have that capability. You know, it's, it's actually, I mean, I think you can even take it further. I'm thinking about a course that I did on Thinkific and I didn't quite know what I didn't know about the tech behind it when I started. But by the time I built the course, I realized that I was wedded to Thinkific, Mm -hmm. that 
Yeah, seriously, because no matter what happened, I would have to go through that programming process all over again. And some of it was like drag and drop. It wasn't that complicated. I could figure out how to do that myself. But I needed to hire a developer on a a few different pieces to get what I wanted because it didn't exist in their arsenal. So it's, it's kind of like if you're not really technical, you can kind of start to go down that road and you don't realize till you start to actually set it up. You're like, uh oh. If this doesn't work, right, if this platform winds up not working for me, I'm going to have to move all this to somewhere else. But, you know, you do it anyway for certain kinds of things because you don't want to build everything yourself Mm -hmm. except your website. Yeah, it's worth I mean, it's worth it. It's it's a pain and it's expensive, but it's and you can get a lot. You know, you can go pretty far with like off the shelf stuff, but you want to use a custom domain so uh, like yes yeah that's that's the big thing i think we beat that horse (laughs) yes yes uh cool all right well that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye bye bye